EcoHealth, your internet radio. Als hy goeiemiddag en welkom hier op Radio EcoHealth. Ons het krachtprobleme. Eskom, eskom, eskom. Hulle doen alweer load shedding. Diedrik, now I'm gonna see if your mic is okay. I'm hoping so. Yeah, that sounds kind of good. It does. How have you been? How's your big... It's been a kind of hectic week. Um, I think I've angered the gods. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> no, the other day, the last week, I was traveling back on the on the highway, just close down to Joburg. I was had to go down to Alberton on the N3 next to the PPC cement factory. Oh yeah. Now that's always a chamos. I mean, you got the Galulis <laughs> interchange and that long hill, and then down the other side, and there's always trucks and three and four highways come together. It's the airport. But I was traveling on the highway, and I, I moved to the middle lane. I can see the highway slowing down in front, so I slowly slow down. And I've got it on my dash cam. It's actually on my one Facebook page. But I see in the right-hand lane, I'm slowing down, and a, and a little white car on the far right-hand lane, it turns out that it was a Corolla, slows down harder than I am. So, it, you know, it, it looks like yeah. I'm sort of overtaking him. Yeah. Next thing, in my driver's side rearview mirror, I see this car spinning towards me. Bits and pieces of car flying everywhere. Oh, no. And he's spinning out towards me, and he looks like he's going to hit me amidships. So I check my left mirror. I, I hit brakes. My, my dashboard lights up like a Christmas tree. I think everything that the car had got kicked into gear. Anti-brake, anti-track, anti-skid, anti-lock, anti-rollover, anti whatever the thing's got. And uh, the, guy's, the guy's still spinning, and he just, just, just clubs my front wheel. And while the guy's spinning, another car actually flips and rolls. You can actually see it. Oh, he, so, and it, wow. what, what transpired is a little golf went up the back end of the Corolla. He must have hit brakes because he flipped. His, the golf actually flipped in the air, landed on the passenger side pillar, then did another flip and landed on his wheels. But <laughs> by crashing into the Corolla, spun the Corolla across three lanes to hit me. So oh, <laughs> like, wow. I got out unscathed. I had, I had to redo, do a wheel alignment. But the okay. other two cars were write-offs. So, <laughs> so I don't know if that's the gods of anger or someone's looking after me. I'm not too sure which way to put that one. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think you had angels looking after you. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, when, I, when I, I let my wife know and I went on to Google Maps, the tailback was already past Linksfield. So we caused a major drama on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! That sounds quite hectic. No, it was it was an interesting few moments on the highway. I think let's quickly uh, talk about the competition and about yep. the downloads and where the downloads are being coming from. That is quite interesting, actually. Yeah, it's the last week for our Mikey's Fontaine competition, guys. It's all over our social media pages. Still two nights up for grabs in Mikey's Fontaine. We do the draw in next week's competition. We've got the weekend. The 1st of November is on Monday, which is election day as well. But on the 3rd, then, we'll actually do the draw for our Mikey's Fontaine competition. Yes. So the entries are coming in. Um, it's, clearly, some people are finding the answers. It's really not that difficult to find the correct answers for it. But that yeah. is still happening. So you've got the last seven days for that one. And it's an interesting one. We've created a podcast feeder page on a site called Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout. I googled and they said that's the best one to do it. And yesterday we cracked the first one eventually in South America. Found a guy in Brazil has found us. 
Oh, lovely. We've had a couple of guys in Australia do it, but the most, the most downloads, actually, believe it or not, come from North America and from Europe. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. Which is really cool because hopefully those are our tourists coming in and wanting to learn about South Africa. Yes, yes. So they must have been listening to the podcast as well. Well, I hope well, they've downloaded it. Whether they listen to the whole thing or not, I can't tell you. But they've definitely found us and downloaded it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Asia Asia's doing pretty well as well. And funny enough, the, the, the cities, the cities with the most downloads are, are Montreal. Montreal. Montreal in Canada and Cologne in Germany. Oh, my soul. Cologne, yeah, Cologne's Germany. Well, yes. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. And then the, the three biggest countries are South Africa, United States, and Germany. And then comes Canada, Japan, Italy, France. India's found us. Australia's found us. Finland has found us. Singapore's found us. Oh, my word. <laughs> okay, so that's, uh, that's going well. That's going well. No, it is. It gives you, it gives you, <laughs> kind of gives you a bit of a kick that, that the social media just goes so far and wide. It's just yeah. bang. Just, oh, it's just yes. there. Yeah. Awesome. What are we chatting about this week? Uh, I was looking at which, which podcasts are the most popular and which topics seem to work. And it sort of led, led me to almost focus, focus on, on a particular area. And I thought we'd sort of focus on central Zululand today. Because Zululand is one of the... It is a massive tourist area, of course, both local and for <coughs> internationals. Yeah. And Zululand has got so much to offer... The wildlife, of course, immediately springs to springs to mind. You've got the Tlutlui Umfalozi Park. You've got St. Yeah. Lucia. Um, you've got Ndumu. You've got Mkuzi. You've got Sodwana Bay. Sodwana Bay is rated amongst, I think, one of the top ten dive, dive sites in the world. Oh, wow. It is. Okay. It's amazing. It's an amazing dive spot. Then, of course, as you go down, you've still got the whole Drakensberg, Uhlamba area, the Drakensberg down there. I mean, you've got so much. You've got Itala Game Reserve. So for the wildlife and bird watching guys, it's got so much. But the history and the the other bits and pieces that, that make up in Zululand, I mean, are, are absolutely incredible. You've got obviously you've got the birth of the Zulu nation um, in that area. You've got the Zulus and the initial settlers in Durban. We're now talking around 1824. You've then got the settlers in the British conflict with with uh, the British trying to take over Durban as a harbour. Then you've got the the endless stories and the, the, the massive impact of the fur trackers and the Zulus. And that, that conflict, which still reverberates today, those battles yeah. from the 1830s and 1840s still influence what is happening in South Africa today. And then even possibly a bigger escalation of that, you've got both conflicts between the British and the and the Boers. You've got the, the First Boers, yeah. War of Independence and the Second War of Independence, Anglo-Boer Wars, that are whatever you want to call them. But <laughs> yeah. both of those played out in the in those areas. And um, you know and those are iconic or such formative parts of our history. But if we really want to start and we've got to go back and for me, the logical place to start, everybody when you, everybody immediately thinks of Zululand, you think of King Shaka, but the history goes back further than that. And you need to look at Shaka's father, King Senzagakona, Senzagakona Kajama. Now, the Zulus have the naming practice of Ka something means son of. 
Yeah. So Senzaga Kona was son of Jama. And Senzaga Kona was the father of, of King Shaka. But he was also father, direct father, to two other Zulu kings. And I don't think there's okay. many other people in the world that can claim to be father to three kings. Wow. Not yeah. grandfather or great-grandfather <laughs> or hereditary yeah. line. He was direct father for three kings. He was, he was the father of Shaka, Dingan, and Mpande. Wow. Okay. So, again, quite a character. And Senzaka Kona... His grave is in and around Ulundi. The Ulundi area is sort of the spiritual home of the Zulu of the Zulu nation. And there's an awful lot to see and do around Ulundi. But the grave of King Senzakakona is there as well. But he had these three, the three sons, or three of his sons, were three three different women. And Nandi, the, the mother of Shaka, was never really accepted into Senzakakona's family. Okay. And he never married her, although there was a claim for marriage, etc. But the name Shaka, and the, the story is, is that the Zulus believed that there was an internal parasitic beetle. Okay, it, it, it's, not, it's not accurate, <laughs> but okay, it was a beetle that caused weird. stomach swelling. Oh, okay. And Senzaka Corner tried to hide the fact that Nandi was pregnant by claiming that she had Ushaka. Ushaka, Shaka being the name of the beetle. Oh, okay. That's so Nandi's pregnancy was try was was they they tried to hide it. It didn't work, and. Shaka was born, and that's where the name comes from. So Shaka, the name Ushaka means the little beetle. Okay, the little beetle. The little beetle. But Senzaka Corner tried to include Shaka. He, 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 he didn't accept Nandi as, as part of the family. He tried to accept Shaka into the Impis, but again, that didn't really work. Shaka wasn't really that close to him. I mean, you can't really be close to someone who ostracizes your mother but then tries to take you uh, it it, it got complicated let's just say it got complicated (laughs) that his mother had a relationship with with um, Senzaka Kona who was king of a a smallish tribe at that stage that called the Zulus but at that time we now we're now talking late 1700s the exact dates of are lost yeah but at that stage, the Zulus were not a cohesive nation. The best way you could compare them to would be like the clans in Scotland. A lot of independent oh, yeah. little mini yes. kingdoms or chiefdoms <laughs> or fiefdoms that had never really been united <laughs> under a central type of authority. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so Nandi has this affair. Shaka is born. And Senzaga Corner more or less ostracizes them. And Nandi and Shaka then find refuge elsewhere. And Dingiswayu, Dingiswayu, chief of them, Tetwas, took in Nandi and Shaka. And Shaka more or less became a surrogate son um, of Dingiswayu. Okay. Now, the Tetwas were a powerful clan, but... In, in the politics of the day, 
what you need to remember is the other big clan was led by a chief by the name of Zwide. Zwide. So you've got these two powerful clans sort of fighting almost for a little bit of supremacy. Yeah. And Dingus Waiu, Shaka's surrogate father, was actually assassinated on the order of Zwide. Okay. So now Shaka's got a second guy that he's now not too keen on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Shaka, somewhere along the line, Shaka was an absolute military genius. You get yeah. people that are just born with this military type of, of mindset. And Shaka yes. just seemed to have that. And he absolutely excelled. And he became almost the general under Dingis Wayu, the chief in charge of the military. Dingis Wayu is assassinated. Shaka decides that uh, he's got to, he's got to sort, sort this lot out. Now, he goes and attacks Zwide. Zwide. Zwide's clan was called the Ndwandwe. The Ndwandwe clan. Okay. And a massive battle actually happened in one of these unpronounceable names. It's, it's, a, it's a double click. It's a G and a Q. Kolkwe Hill. Again, just outside of Ulundi. And that is a battle in um, 1818 between Zwide of the Ndwandwe and Shaka, who's king of the Zulu. Yeah. And that more or less determined the fate of the whole of northern Zululand. And it was, it was a hill. Shaka managed to, to hide his, a lot of his, his, um, his people and his li- livestock around the Mshatuzi River. And he was able to basically outmaneuver and outfox Zwide. Okay. And <laughs> Zwide orders, orders his troops to attack. Shaka outmaneuvers the guy. Now, we always get excited in rugby when there's one or two or three phases. This battle, actually, yeah. there were five separate attacks and counterattacks, according to oral history. And Shaka eventually won the day. And the Ndwandwes were surrounded and defeated. Now, I don't know if defeated means slaughtered to the last man or just captured. At yeah. that stage, I don't think there was much mercy <laughs> on those battlefields in those days. I don't think so. <laughs> and so Shaka then takes the throne in Zululand and amalgamates or coalesces the Zulus into a, into a major clan. But there's memorials to both of them. King Senzakokona's grave you can visit, and you can visit the battlefield outside, outside of Ulundi as well. But where I'm going with this one is Shaka. Shaka is buried in a place called Stanger. Kwadukuza. That's just off on the highway. And they're not sure exactly where he's buried. There's a statue of Shaka in Stanger as well. Now, that's quite a way away from Ulundi. And the story goes that Shaka actually moved his kraal, his royal residence, closer to Durban. Because at the time of his chieftaincy, the British arrived in Durban. Ah, And he wanted to, he was fascinated by this and wanted and realized the power and the trade opportunities that were available when the the Europeans arrived in what was then Port Natal. But Shaka's story 
is a massive one. I mean, he, he, he depopulated massive areas. He created a military system that was almost unparalleled. He directly controlled more territory in, in southern Africa than, for example, Napoleon ever commanded in Europe. Oh, wow. That's interesting and fact. Shaka's legacy and the language of the Zulus has got roots and, and or influences right up through into Malawi, into Mozambique, into yeah. present-day Zimbabwe. You know, all of these are, are refugees or offshoots or breakaways from the Zulus. Yes. So, I mean, his influence on that, on that time, I mean, we're talking the early 1800s, is, is just enormous. Yes, yeah. But he never married. We, we know of no children that he had. Yeah. And eventually his mother, his mother died of dysentery, as far as, as far as we know. And her death really, really affected him, and he, he kind of seemed to lose the plot. He almost went a little bit mental or into a serious depressive state or... Whatever, whatever something you want. Some, some, something of the sort <laughs> happened to him there. And uh, he declared a massive period of mourning. And the reports are like you weren't allowed to milk the cows, you weren't allowed to bring in a harvest. You know, everybody had to show the same amount of grief as he did, and he would line people up, but they weren't crying hard enough, he'd, he'd kill them. Yeah. You know, so he, he seemed oh, well, to lose the okay. plot a little yeah. bit there. And eventually the family realized that they actually had to get rid of him in order for the Zulu nation to survive yes. or to overcome this period of madness. And he was apparently sitting under a tree somewhere, somewhere close to where he's buried now in Stanger. And two of his brothers eventually stabbed him Okay, and, and, and took him out. So okay. the one was Dingan. One of them was Dingan, yeah. Yeah, okay. But he must have had children, eh? But uh, yeah, history doesn't tell us who, when, or where. <laughs> no, no. And I think that, like in any in any royal family, children that are not or are born out of wedlock, yeah, are quietly spirited away or not talked about or. Whatever, in case they, yes. in, ca- in case the, the, the succession the, line, yeah. the claims start yes. coming in, etc., yes. etc., et <laughs> and and that and, and that starts happening. I but, think um, mm. let's uh, go to the music quickly, and we'll play some MP from uh, Johnny Clegg. Ah, there we go. I think Love that's Johnny a good Clegg. one to kick off with. I was telling someone last week, uh, I think it was John or someone, if they sort out these street lights, uh, it's burning all day long. I think our electricity situation would be a lot better. Um, yeah, no, there's some there's some unexplainable things. You drive down the the highway between Joburg and Pretoria, everything that's an office building is ablaze with lights, but there's no one in it. And yet yeah. the suburb next door is having load shedding. Yeah, I don't get it. And all the highway lights <laughs> yeah. in the day is on. Yeah. And in the subway, suburbs as well. But in any case, <laughs> let's continue with our <laughs> discussion. Because, yeah, ESCOM is a very 
bad influence on our psyche. Eiskom. Eiskom, yeah. That's a good one. But yes, anyway, so Dingan, Dingan is now has now taken over. But it's actually it's actually quite interesting to if if you go onto the road trip app and you type in the search function Dingan, the only statue to Dingan is way up north in northern Zululand, up other side of the Jazini Dam. Okay. Now that's way out of territory. But the reason for that is that okay, number one, he was he was he was Shaka's half brother and part of the what they call regicide on on Shaka. Okay. And one of the traditions of the Zulu is you're not allowed to be king if you actually have blood on your hands like that. So Yeah. Possi- possibly his half brother took all the blame and uh Dingan managed to escape that. But Dingan was ultimately responsible for the attack on the Ford Trackers, 1838 Blood River, and we'll go into that because that's oh, another yes, huge yeah. part of the monuments and, and spots to visit in Zululand. But after, after the defeat at Blood River on the 16th of December, 1838, Dingan had to flee, and he fled northwards, and he was killed by the Swazis. The Swazis actually... Yeah. Um, sta- stabbed him up in the Lobombo Mountains there on that borderline between South Africa and Swaziland. Did he have a long reign as king? or Well, not really. Shaka, let me, let me just try and work out when Shaka, Shaka was murdered. Well, let me, let me just try and, try and haul, haul this out here in 1828. 1828 to 1838. So Dingan had a reign of 10 years. Okay. <clears throat> And the statue is, of, is, is put up in, in Jazini area because that's where he was killed. I don't even know the exact spot where he, was, where he was murdered by the Swazis. But an interesting one, again, is that statue was erected by Chief Mangosutu Butelezi, okay, who, through his mother, is actually a direct descendant of Dingan Shaka and Senzaga Kona as well. Oh, okay. So I Chief Butelezi is, is yeah. in that line. But yeah, we come we come now to, to, to Dingan, and compared to Shaka, Dingan I think just lived lived off the legacy of Shaka and the and the empire that Shaka had built. Yeah. And by all reports, wasn't wasn't exactly a super active king. Okay. But like I said, ultimately he was responsible for one of the biggest defeats the Zulus had ever had. Now next next to. Dingan's old kraal, a place called um, Kwa Matiwani, is the grave of Pitratif and the commando that he had with him. Okay. And we're now talking, they were killed by Dingan on the 6th of February, 1838. But they were only buried by the fellow foot trekkers much later after the Battle of, of Blood River. Yes. In, in, in a mass grave. And we chatted about that treaty. I don't know if you remember the story about the treaty. Because the Dingan was king of the Zulus. The foot trekkers were looking for land. They were coming out over the berg around the Harry Smith um, area. They'd sent emissaries to Dingan. And somewhere in translation, this message got, got, got messed lost. up. <laughs> According to the Zulus, the, the foot trekkers were not allowed to come in 
to Zululand until permission was given. According to the Ford Trekkers, permission had been given. Petrotif yeah. had been given a task by Dingaan to go and recover some cattle that had been stolen by a chappie by the name of Sikon Yella. Retief had done that. He'd brought the cattle back. And he then went to go and present the cattle and stuff to, to Dingaan and say, right, I've fulfilled my half of the bargain. Can we please now get the land that we've asked for? And the story yes. goes that he was then set upon by the Zulu warriors, dragged out of the kraal and killed on the hill outside of Dingaan's kraal. One of the stories is that one of the, one of the party that was with him, an Englishman, started meandering around the kraal and committed some grievous offense by going into forbidden areas for which the penalty was death. The other ones are saying that it was just straight treachery by the Zulu king. Who knows exactly what the story is, but out of this mix pops out this treaty, and the treaty now from February is then now suddenly found in December in a leather satchel on a hill in Petritif's saddlebag. Yeah. Now I I question I question whether an old parchment would survive months out in the sun and jackals and hyenas and vultures and things in a little leather saddlebag. But the treaty the original treaty doesn't exist anymore. However, there are copies that are that are floating around. And I did yeah. actually get a couple of interesting phone calls after my last broadcast on that one about this treaty. Everybody agrees the original is gone. The original is nowhere to be found. Speculation is that it disappeared with Paul Kruger on the train into Switzerland and is lying out, you know, all sorts of stories, but no one no okay. one knows exactly where this thing is. Okay, so it could be anyway. Yeah. If it even exists anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but you can visit Petrity's grave outside of outside of the village as well. Now the, the, the things that are leading leading up to this up to this whole Petrotif's killing. We've now got to move slightly further over towards towards the west, and we now got to sit around the Ladysmith Escort Moy River area. Okay. Because that's that's the route that the fur trekkers used to come in off the escarpment. They came down the pass now, um, where the Sturkfontein Dam is. And they came down that way. That's where the Carlfoot Fro monument is. That's where oh, yes, the yes. Deborah Retief inscriptions are on the cave. That's where that's where they came down. And apparently, that's also where the name the Drakensberg comes from. Because yeah. when you do when you do drive down that road on a clear day and you look at the outline of the of the Drakensberg, you can understand why they thought it looked like the scales of a dragon. Because Drakensberg is Drak is dragon. Yeah. So it's yeah. the Dragon Mountains. Yeah. And with a bit of imagination, if there's a bit of cloud over there, you can even think of the dragon puffing out smoke out of his mouth. Oh, and you yeah. look at those sharp, <laughs> you look at the sharp mountain peaks, you can understand where the dragon idea comes from. Yes, yes. And the Zulu name as well, also a very, very fitting Zulu name, Ugutlamba, barrier of spears. Again, all the little pointy bits look like yes. a bunch of spears on the horizon. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so the foot trekkers come down. And they move into those areas, which is now the Natal Midlands. But there's one interesting one that you can visit there, which is actually the Durenkop, the Durenkop Monument. And it's on, it's on some private land, so you might have to do a little bit of organizing to get onto it. But that's where Retief 
had his last camp before he went on his visit to Dingaan. Oh, so it was his okay. like assembly lager there. Yes. And that's where he left with his 69 men. So 69 guys went to go visit Dingaan, who eventually killed in December. <laughs> but what makes that an interesting spot is that that almost sort of became the Fort Trekker headquarters. Because Dingaan then kills Ratif and his entire party. Yeah. But sends his MPs out. And we chatted last week about that lady survivor yes. of Blokrans. Yes, yes. What was her name again? Oh, hang on. You got me. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll have to dig that one out again. <laughs> it's on the tip of my it's tongue. It's on the tip of my tongue as well. You caught me. You caught me. You caught me on that one. <laughs> but the Zulus attacked all these lagers. And all the survivors then congregated back at Durangop. Yes. And somehow the Zulus never attacked Dorongop. Okay. They attacked all the other lagers, but they left Dorongop alone. And that's one of the funny, une- unexplained little happenings there. Yeah. Because, you know, if, you, if, you have, if you're having a fight there, obviously you, you, want, you want to attack everything. And the Zulus, the Zulus missed that one. So had, had they attacked Dorongop lager, they yeah. would have had, I think, probably had an awful lot more success on that night of getting getting the foot trekkers out of out of Zululand, out of Natal. Yes, yeah. But dotted around that area then you've you've got the Blaukrans and you've got um Muatruf. The other one that is that is an interesting one is um the place called Soilar. Soilager. Soilar. Okay. <laughs> now, the normal defensive position that the foot trekkers would take in is called a lager. So yeah. you take your ox wagons, you pull them up into a circle, you would tie the wheels together so people couldn't pull them apart, and then they would have something that they would call fechhekka, fighting gates. Okay. Yes. And the fechhekka would be like a little trellis, like a garden trellis kind of thing that they would, that yeah. they, that they would have, have made, and they would put that in the front or sort of underneath the wagon so nobody could crawl through underneath. Yes. But yet it also gave you a firing position because you could lie underneath there protected by this this gatey fence thing yeah. and still be able to fire out. But this was an un- interesting one because they actually made this one out of earth. That's why it's called soilar because sod. Okay. Sod is soy. So the defensive gates didn't exist, but they put mountains of earth underneath the wagons, almost like a kind of permanent, okay. permanent fixture there. Yeah. And this was the <coughs> defensive position of Gerrit Maritz. That's where Peter Maritzburg comes from, Peter Ratif and Gerrit Maritz, oh. the other, the other Fortrecker leader. <laughs> yes. Maritz w- happened to be the guy that did not go to, the, to, uh, to, to Dingaan uh, yeah. and the eventual slaughter of the Fortrekkers. Oh, okay. <laughs> So you can visit you can visit the Soilar there as well, and that's just outside of Bergville. So that entire area, sort of Bergville, Escort, Moy River, is now this 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 Fort Trekker area. And it's also where General Andres Pretorius joined Maritz. In November 1838, Pretorius. Pretorius is again one of these interesting characters. 
every time you read about the foot trackers, Pretorius happens to be there. He was in the Transvaal, he was in the Free yeah. State, he was in Zululand, he was he was all over the place. It's like that other wild trope. <laughs> wild trope, wild trope yeah. was all over the place. He was all over the place. But this Andres Pretorius <laughs> is an amazing character and I love the depictions of him and in the foot tracker in the Fort Tracker monument, they've got this wonderful depiction of the Battle of Blood River. And Blood River is one we're going to go into now as well. But he's, he's there in his top hat and tails. Oh, yeah. He's wearing a top hat in the middle of a battle. He's got this long frock on. There's no other word to describe <laughs> it. It's not a coat anymore. It's actually like a morning coat. You know when you have yeah. an official wedding, you've got these long tails behind your top hat and tails? Yes. He's wearing that. And he's leading a cavalry charge with his sword out in his top hat and tails. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. You're, you're, just try, you're trying to picture this, and it, 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 yeah. it's kind of hard to picture it. But, again, you know, that, 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 that was his spot. And that, that commando eventually got called the Ven Commando. There was another earlier one where they tried to, tried to beat, go and beat up the Zulus, but uh, they failed miserably. And that one, that one was eventually called the Flug Commando. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. again, that's one of those little bits that you don't you don't read too much about the Flug Commando. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think too many people want want to remember remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> now, Alundi and this area are are quite quite a way apart. So Pretorius and then eventually gets together and he puts together his little expedition now to go into Zululand and to go and chastise the Zulus for the death of Petritif. Yes. So he then leaves and there's a, there's a spot called Vasbank. Vasbank. Okay. Bank. It's on. It's on the main road out of Ladysmith towards the Dundee. Naming of these stuff is, of the places is just. <laughs> sometimes it's just weird. And Vasbank, everybody knows about the covenant that the Fortrick has made about the Battle of Blood River. But what not many people realize is that this this covenant. Made by Sardar Salia, Sardar Salia being one of, again one of these characters that pop out of the story multiple times. He was a like a Dwemeni religious character, but almost a kind of a mystic as well. And Sardar Salia normally led the foot trekkers in prayer and Bible reading, but the first reading of that covenant was on the 9th of December. Okay. So every single day the foot trekkers would move there. Their wagons. Now, this was a, what they called a Fach Commando. It wasn't yes. just a commando. This was a Fach Commando. This was a fighting commando. Okay. So the women and children were not part of this this expedition. And 60, 64 wagons with cattle, with voorlopers, the guys helping them control the oxen. Yes. 417 fighting men <laughs> were in this expedition out to go and chastise the Zulus. Yeah. So every day they would move, every night they would take a defensive position. Yeah. And they would have some prayer, and every night they actually read their covenant. Yes. 
So on the 9th of December is the first one, the 10th they did it, the 11th they did it, the 12th they did it, the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th. Every single night of that expedition, they read this covenant with God. Yeah. And maybe one of the listeners can add some input here, but I know of only two nations on earth that believe they have a, a direct covenant with God, and that's the Afrikaners and the Jews. The <laughs> Jews had the covenant yeah. of Masada. Yes. The same thing. And the Afrikaners have the covenant at the Battle of Blood River. Yeah. Do you know if there's a copy that exists of that covenant? or The covenant is in the Fortrick Monument. Is it? Yeah. Okay, awesome. And it's inscribed, it's inscribed on several monuments. It's inscribed on the monument at Blood River. Oh, and awesome. So you can go read you it. Can go, you can go read it, yeah. Okay, before we continue i think let's take a quick break again but firstly please guys remember about the mikey's fontaine competition that we are running uh you can find it on our facebook radio eco health live there is all the links are there you can go look at it uh Diedrich, from your side where can they find it the best place to find it any of the posts on our road trip sa facebook page uh find Go into one of the posts. We're doing posts at the moment on churches and new monuments that we found a little while ago in the last couple of weeks. And in the descriptions is, are all the entry forms, all the links to the different bits and pieces that you need for the Mikey's Fontaine competition. We've kept that going. So the, the posts for the last three weeks have got the Mikey's Fontaine competition on it. So just go find and like our, our Road Trip SA page. Awesome. Okay, well, I've got another Johnny Clegg waiting here for us to play. And uh, yes, let's do a bathroom run. <laughs> We are back here on Radio Eco Health with Diedrich from Rogue. This thing is very slow today. The response time when you click and when it actually stops. <laughs> okay, uh, Diedrich with uh, Road Trip SA. Go take a look on his website and on his Facebook page. And then, of course, on our page, Radio Eco Health Live for that competition. And he's here every Wednesday between 1 and 2. Okay, let's continue. I think we're still moving in Blood River's way, uh, direction. <laughs> uh, indeed, indeed, indeed. We've, 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 left, we've left Ladysmith. We took a short detour uh, off the, what's it, the R602, I think it is there. Yeah, the R602. We'd gone, we visited Vassbank, because that's, where the, well, oh, that's yes. where the covenant was read for the first time. And now we're continuing up, and we're now getting into, into Blood River. Now, Blood River is also one of those iconic sites that I think everybody has to visit once in their life. And I'm, I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks and trying to put together a list of the top ten Sites that I, I think you need to visit at least once. Yeah. If you if you live in this country, sort of the the ten formative spots, and I haven't I haven't quite worked out yet exactly what they are. But yeah, we'll we'll make a whole show out of that one. But Blood Blood River, 
it's a little bit off the road. It's a, it's a bit of a dirt road. You've got to drive through through Dundee. Dundee's got also its own whole history, which we can cover later. Yeah, because Zululand gets confusing. You got you got all these these all these different wars and battles and cultures and things that that, that fought each other. So you can't do a linear tour through them because you pass. You know, while you're doing the Zulus and the and the foot trekkers, you'll pass Anglo Boer war sites, or you'll pass, you know, Anglo Zulu or Anglo Boer war, or you know, so there's a whole gaggle of stuff down there. <laughs> yeah. But the Battle of Blood River is one of those <clears throat> incredible monuments that, when you arrive there, you stand back and you go, "Wow!" and one of my favorite memories of, of, of one of the coach tours that I did, not, not many coach tours go to Blood River because it's a kind of off the way. Yeah. And it's a bit rough for the coaches to get into. And you, know, you, you eat up like almost an entire day to visit just Blood River, which is a great pity. Oh, yeah. yeah and, and tourists on coach tours don't have that kind of time to spend. Yeah. But when you drive down that road towards Blood River, there's one little rise in the road where if you stop, you get a panorama view of the entire battlefield. Oh, wow. And they've recreated the lager that Pretorius made. And he chose his ground very, very cleverly. The lager is in the, in the shape, almost the shape of a D. Okay. And the round part of the D is protected by a donga, and at that stage, marshy, wetland with lots of reed kind of area. So it's a beautiful... Oh, yeah. natural defensive position yes. where should somebody try to come through there, they'd get stuck. That's why he chose that particular yeah. spot. But if you stand and you look out over this battlefield and you think back to the events of that night. Now, you've got to go back to the night of the 15th of December. Yeah. On the 15th, that position was taken in. 64 wagons. 470 fighting men take in this position and they know that the Zulu army is right there. They'd found the army, they'd found each other, and they were now taking taking position. Yeah. You can imagine you fought 470 guys and you're facing an army later estimated in the region of 15,000. Yeah, yeah. That's not that, good odds. That's huge. That's not good odds. <clears throat> Traditionally or militarily speaking... A defensive position, the odds are in your favor. Yeah. Okay. You are defending, you're behind something, you sort of protected. Yes. But still, you, you're fighting a massive, massive odds there. Yeah. That's a huge army. That's a huge army. So here come these foot trekkers. And understand who we're talking about here. These are farmers. These are guys dressed in old felskuns and yeah. you got muzzle loaders. That's all you got. You got muzzle loaders. You've got several hundred cattle. An ox wagon needs eight or ten oxen to pull one. To pull it, yeah. So you've got 64 wagons, and you've got eight, nine hundred, maybe up to a thousand head of cattle as well. Yeah. So you pull into this defensive position. You prepare this lager. You're putting your fachhacker, your fighting gates, you're yes. putting down. They had three artillery pieces. Old... Uh, Pretorius even had his own personal cannon that he bought off an English ship's captain somewhere along the line that he'd mounted onto some old ox wagon 
wheels and he pulled this he pulled this okay. off he pulled this cannon halfway across South Africa. <laughs> Griki. Griki. You can actually see Griki okay. in the Fortrecker Monument. You can go downstairs into the wonderful museum that they've got downstairs. Griki yeah. is standing there. Now Griki played a heck of a role in this battle and we'll get to we'll I'll tell you about that one now. But so the Fortrekkers arrive and they pull into this position. They know that the Zulu army is there. For the last five, six nights, every night they've held a prayer while Sardar Sulia doing his number with the, with the covenant to God. And they pray and they sing hymns. And they get into this final position and they know, they know the next morning it's going to happen. Yeah. So I, I don't think many people slept that night because they know there's 15,000 Zulus yes. within sight. They can hear each other. Yeah. The Fortrekkers could hear the Zulus. And the Zulus could hear the foot trackers. That's how close they were. Sure. And you know the next morning the chips are down. Yeah. So I'd, and now you've got a thousand head of cattle inside this, inside this lager as well. Yeah. They've got 400 yes. men, 470 men, thousand head of cattle inside the lager. And of course that night the mist comes down. Yeah. So now you've got spooky, oh. scary yeah. atmosphere as well. This, the, ghost, the ghosts are out. <laughs> so what do the fur trackers do? They use their, their, their whips. Now, the, the whips that they used for the, for the cattle were massive long poles. Yeah. And what they do then is they actually took their oil lamps and hung the lamps out on these whips. Because if you put it up straight, it would hang out over the top of the ox wagon. Yes. So now you've got these eerie glowing lights Outside of this lager. That must have been something. And looking at it from a Zulu point of view. Now the Zulu army. You are talking 10 years now into Dingaan's reign. For 10 years the army has been stagnant. Yeah. This is an army that's been brought up on the legends of Shaka. And the legends of his conquests. And the Zulu culture of that, uh, that an impi, an age group impi has to have been blooded in battle before they're allowed to marry, before they become senior in dunas. Yes. And now this is their chance. The first time in 10 years. The first time in 10 years they've got a good fight coming. Yeah. You've been brought up on this. Your whole <laughs> life been brought up in this warrior nation, this unbelievable Zulu force. Yes. That, you know, that later would go and inflict the biggest colonial defeat ever on Great Britain at Isan Juana. Yes. You are part of this. And you're part of 15,000 young men sitting there waiting for the dawn. Now you see this eerie glow of your enemy. Yes. You don't understand what it is. You've got Sardar Sidlia now leading the foot trackers with hymns and songs. Yes. You've never heard this before. You've got ghosty, misty atmosphere. You're uncomfortable. You're probably a little bit cold. And you're seeing this eerie glow with this weird singing coming out. You've never heard this type of singing before. You don't know if it's a war yes. chant. You don't know if it's, if it's some kind of magic chant. You've got no idea. <laughs> yeah. And you also, as a young Zulu, know that the battle's starting in the morning. Yeah, and the lights in the mists. And the lights oh. in the mist are happening. So you've yeah. got to picture this, this kind of atmosphere. And 15,000 people is an awful lot of people to get excited. If, if, if you're at a rugby match and 15,000 people are screaming for a rugby yes. team, you can understand that kind of hype yeah. that's coming. <laughs> so anyway, so the foot trackers are in there. Sarosi is leading them with some hymns and some songs. The lights are out. The mist is coming down. Now the next morning, 
the sun comes up and now it's time for the fight. And the Zulus suddenly realize, but hang on, they can't attack the lager on all sides. Yeah. They obviously hadn't done their reconnaissance very well. If you take an overall look at the battlefield, it's kind of obvious where you need to go. Yes. But these young men who have now been deprived for 10 years of any kind of meaningful fight are now given the chance to attack this lager. Yeah. Now, you've got this fantastically disciplined Zulu army. They're in regiments. Their shields are all in the same colors or the same hide patterns. Their feathers all match. Yeah. They're in uniform. Like the British army would have the different regiments in uniform. The Zulu's regiments are in uniform. They are controlled by an Induna. It's marching. They're in line. They are beautifully disciplined. Somewhere along the line, Khriki starts shooting. And Khriki takes out the commanding general. Oh, awesome. <laughs> okay. Whether it was an aimed shot or a fluke shot, I don't think Khriki yeah. is a super accurate cannon. There was no <laughs> yeah. rifling and stuff. They're shoving cannonballs down a smooth bore and go bang. Yeah. And you kind of hope to hit something. Yes. But they managed to take out the general chief in charge commander of the Zulu army standing on a hill. Oh. The Zulu army is attacking. Suddenly these disciplined regiments realize that they cannot attack on this broad front. Yeah. So they start bunching. And soon oh. the, the Indunas start losing control of their, of their regiments because now the regiments are all intermingled. Yes. So the Zulus are now disintegrating into a little bit of chaos. Pretorius has got his 470 guys. Now understand, not all 470 can shoot at once because half of them have to reload. Yes. It's muzzle loaders. Yeah. You, it's not a nice repeating rifle. It's a muzzle loader. So it's go bang, hand back, and the other guy's now got to go stampy, stampy, stamp, and put gunpowder <laughs> in and put a little wad in there. And then he's got to chew some stuff and stamp that down the barrel. And he's got to put a, a lead ball down the barrel and he's got to stamp that in as well. I mean, this is hard. This is hard graft trying to get this stupid thing to shoot. Yeah. But volley after volley go out off this, out of this lager. And the Zulus are just mown down. And that's where the name Blood River comes from. Yeah. That so many Zulus were killed in that river and in that one defensive position when they got stuck. These poor guys got stuck in the mud and in the reeds. Yeah. And they had no command and control and the foot trackers were just mowing these guys down. Yeah. And later estimates at Blood River, they don't know. But the Zulu deaths, two and a half, three thousand, maybe four thousand Zulu dead at Blood River. Yeah. And not a single foot tracker was killed. There were two injuries. Pretorius, Pretorius had an injury. Yeah. But Pretorius has got his cannon shooting. At one stage, he was clever enough to leave, to leave an opening where they could actually, they hadn't tied those ox wagons together. They could pull that ox wagon open. Yes. And he did that. Me. He pulls the ox wagon open and he actually leads cavalry charges into the Zulus. And the Zulus have never seen this. They've never seen horseback fighting before. This is, again, yeah. some, they've, they've had this eerie stuff the night before. They've had weird singing. They've had weird lights. They've had chaos and mayhem in their battle. Their general is killed. And now come guys on horses flashing swords and stuff. Yeah. And that was basically the end of the Battle of Blood River. Yeah. So when you visit that, that battlefield, stand on that little hill as you're driving in and have a look at that. And I don't know take this podcast with you or read a book or get a guidebook on the actual events of that night or that, that early morning. Yeah. 
and you can stand in that lager to get an idea of the size of this. I mean, 64 wagons is a sizable lager. That's yes. a huge way. They've, they've recreated this battlefield. They've got, 60, they've got 64 bronze cast wagons oh, in exactly cast. the place where this fight happened. Yeah. Exact replicas of those, of those wagons standing there on that battlefield. You can climb in the wagon, have a look at it. You can get into it. You can walk around it. You can stand on the outside, pretend to be a Zulu trying to climb over it, or stand on the other side and be a foot tracker trying to see how you're going to defend this thing. Yeah, and it's one of those places with that that just makes you go wow. There's two museums there. There's the enorme enorme museum. Sorry, my mouth is driving so much talking. There's supposed to be a click <laughs> in there, which is the Zulu Museum. And again, it gives the regiments. It shows the shields. It shows the colours. It gives the Zulu perspective of this entire battle. No visit there is complete if you do not go to that museum. It's a little walk through the Donga out on the other side. And on the, on the, obviously ne- next to the museum is a beautiful, beautiful um, monument there as well with the covenant engraved, engraved yeah. on it. Beautiful marble monument. There's a little museum on the side there as well. And they make little toasted cheeses and good babuities and stuff there as well. So it's the fed cooks. <laughs> I think last time I was there, I had them. I had a very, very nice little fed cook served there by the the, the, the curator. But yes. that that battle, that battle of Blood River, the bravery, the tactics, the insight, the 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 way that General Pretorius chose that ground was absolutely inspiring stuff. That 470 people beat out an army of over 15,000 yeah. is just unbelievable. Yes. And that, that morning of the 16th of December, 1838, has to be one of the most pivotal moments in our history where the Zulus were defeated. Dingaan fled, was killed by the Swazis. Yeah. Mpande gets installed as king the third one of the third sons of Senzaga corner gets yes. installed as king and makes peace with the foot trekkers change the face of that entire province and that entire area forever yeah that one morning and that that spot you've got to go stand there and reflect on that pivotal moment in our history in blood river in kzn sure that's awesome that's <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, history is so interesting. It is just unbelievable. <clears throat> so yeah, I do think I do think Blood River, the Blood River Monument, or the Battle of Ngome, is one of those spots that's going to hit my top ten. Okay, yeah. Like I said, I think we should do a, a <laughs> like a show just on the greatest spots in South Africa. <laughs> So yeah, so that that's where our December the sixteenth public holiday comes from. Yes, of course. And it's that covenant that should the fur trackers get have victory that day, they would forever hold that day in remembrance. Yes, that is awesome. I see we are out of time basically <laughs> again. <laughs> but yeah, that was very interesting. 
Oh, awesome. Dietrich, thanks for coming in again. And uh, I've got, I've floated up another one of Johnny, uh, I almost said Johnny Cash, uh, Johnny Clegg. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, but yeah, I'm going to play that one. <laughs> Guys, please remember the uh, Mikey Fontaine competition. It's the last week of this competition, so if you really want to win two nights in the Lord Milner Hotel, go look at our Facebook page, Radio Eco Health Live. Everything is, uh, is there. It's pinned to the top of the page. You cannot miss it. And then go to Road Trip SA on their Facebook page and their website. And uh, yeah, Mikey Fontaine, uh, go look at their website and go join them. And then the, the, the magazine, what's it called again? Road Trip, Road Trip Magazine. Road Trip Magazine. And it's free. You can just join and you can get all the new goodies that comes out every now and again. And awesome, guys. Uh, Dietrich, thanks for coming in again. Hey, the Battlefield in Natal is another good couple of episodes that we can talk about. Oh, yeah. For <laughs> sure. For sure. <laughs> okay, guys. Enjoy. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Asimbo nanga Asimbo nanga